0: to Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing our study by looking at three verses today, verses 9, 10, and 11. You'll know that last week we also looked at verse 9, so we're going to pick up again with verse 9 today and just look at three verses. Philippians chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you would, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. You're now the written word of the living God. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers and the flowers fall, beloved, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, take it and implant it into our hearts and our minds. Open our ears to hear, but Lord, may we not only be hearers, but doers of thy holy word. If there's one here who doesn't know Jesus today, we pray for that one, that you would draw him or her savingly to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. What is salvation? What is salvation? You know, most of you know I grew up in a large Southern Baptist church there in East Tennessee. And I'm very grateful for that church. I'm very grateful for my heritage. That's where I heard the gospel. That's where under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord drew me to himself when I was six years old. But it was in that church I was taught that salvation is that moment where you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And as I just mentioned, that happened to me there in that Baptist church. It was Tuesday, December the 6th, 1983. I was only six years old, but I vividly remember it. Under the preaching of God's Word, God pierced my heart and my soul, convicted me of my sin. And yes, that day, I trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I've always referred to that day as the day I got saved. And I want you to know I still refer to that day as the day I got saved. But as I grew in my faith, as I became an adult, I actually learned that the Bible has a past, a present, and a future aspect to the doctrine of salvation. You see, the Bible actually teaches us that for the Christian, he has been saved, he's being saved, and he will be saved. You might say, Adam, what are you talking about? Let me explain what that means. You know, as you read the scriptures, the pages of the New Testament, specifically the writings of the Apostle Paul, Paul teaches us what's called an order of salvation. That is, a specific way in which God works out his plan of salvation in the hearts and minds of people. And within that order, the Bible teaches us three key doctrines. It's the doctrine of justification, of sanctification, and then thirdly, glorification. Let me give you some examples of each of these from the Bible because first of all, the, the Bible teaches us that for the Christian, there is a past aspect of salvation. It's your justification. Our brother Daryl read from Ephesians 2.8 just a moment ago. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you've been justified by his grace. There's a something that was in your past. When you came to know the Lord, that was your justification. But then presently, there's your sanctification. It was just a couple weeks ago, our brother Lad stood right here from this very pulpit and preached to us Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, which says, work out, that means presently, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's called sanctification. Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul says, this is God's will for you, yes, even your sanctification. But then thirdly, there's a future aspect called glorification. Romans 5, 9 says it this way, We shall be saved from the wrath that is to come. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that. That's what Paul said earlier in this book right here in Philippians. And I know most most of you are familiar with Romans 8, which talks about being glorified as a Christian. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know that I mentioned all three of these doctrines, justification, sanctification, glorification, because all three of these doctrines are found in our text today. I know it's just three verses, but I want you to know that these three verses are actually packed with doctrine. They're packed with solid theology that teaches this past, present, and future aspect of salvation Today, I want you to see in verse 9, the doctrine of justification. In verse 10, the doctrine of sanctification. In verse 11, the doctrine of glorification. So today, yes, our sermon, it's a little more theological. It's a little more doctrinal. But you know what? Good theology drives good practice. What you know about God determines the way you live your life. We need to have our, thio- our theology, our doctrine in order because that's the way that God's going to teach us how to live our lives. He's going to teach us about salvation today. So look with me, first of all, our first point, justification It's found in verse 9. Look at that again with me. The Bible says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. When we talk about justification, that has everything to do with righteousness. In fact, the word righteousness is the root meaning of the word justification. So take a trip with me back to last week, if you were here last week. If you didn't, if you weren't here, I'll try to catch you up. But last week, we talked about how oftentimes in life, People tried to make themselves righteous. They tried to justify themselves by their own good works and their own good deeds. In fact, in the context of this chapter right here in Philippians 3, we learned about the false teachers, the Judaizers. Do you remember them? There was this this group of people who came in and they changed the gospel of grace. They changed it into a heresy of good works. The Judaizers said that you must follow the law of Moses, specifically the Bible, the, the Judaizers said you must administer circumcision, you must observe special days, and yes, you really just need to obey the whole Mosaic law to be saved, to make yourself righteous before God. Well, we know that Paul was familiar with the Old Testament, wasn't he? He was a Pharisee. But Paul had been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he heard about this, when he heard about this heresy going on in the Philippian church, he picked up his pen and he began to write. And last week, we looked at his argument. And for the sake of argument, what did Paul do last week? He assumed the validity of the Judaizers, but he did that only to show its absurdity. You see, the Judaizers thought they had gained a righteous standing before God because of their assets. Remember that last week? We talked about assets and liabilities. They had this list of assets, which was their Jewish heritage, the things they had done. And they thought this list of assets gained them a righteous standing before God. And Paul writes to them, this was last week, he says, let's talk about assets. He goes, because I want to compare my assets to yours. And Paul says, when we do that, My assets are better than yours. That's what he says to the Judaizers. I have a better heritage. I have a better tradition. I have better works righteousness than you do. But then the apostle Paul said, but I'm going to stop comparing myself to you. And I'm going to start comparing myself to Jesus. Because when I do, Paul says, all those things that I called assets, they're actually liabilities. All those things that I thought were to my gain, they're actually liabilities loss. And Paul says, because of that, everything that I thought was an asset, everything that I thought was a gain, I'm casting it aside into this column, the liabilities column, so that I might gain Christ. And I'm going to go one step further, Paul says. Actually, all my assets, they're not just liabilities. Paul says, they're rubbish. If you look back, verse 8 calls them rubbish, which literally means manure. He recognized that his own deeds before God were rubbish, like manure before a holy, holy God. You see, Paul recognized his own sin nature, his own failings, his own brokenness, and that no matter what he did, he could never save himself. He realized that the wages of sin, it's death. And he could say along with Isaiah, even if he brought his very best, they were like, filthy rags to a holy God. So we learned last week that a person cannot make himself righteous by his own assets. But, beloved, if that is true, if you can't make yourself righteous by your own assets, how, how then can a person be justified How then can any of us be declared righteous, which is what justified means? How can we be declared righteous by God? The answer to that question, brothers and sisters, has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we started this conversation last week. We learned last week that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Being fully God, he decided to step out of glory and come all the way down to where we are and to take on our humanity without losing his divinity. And in Jesus, we see the God-man. And Jesus lived on this earth, and he battled temptation just like you and I do every single day. Yet the Bible says he did it without sin. He was perfect. He was completely righteous. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 19 teaches us that Christ completely fulfilled the righteous merits of the law. He never made a mistake. And that is something that you and I, we just couldn't do. And then Jesus, being completely righteous, he went to the cross and he died for our sins. You know, that whole list of liabilities that all of us have, that whole list of sin, that whole list of shortcoming, the Bible says all of that, it was put on Jesus. It was charged to his account. It was imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's why Jesus died. He died, beloved, for our sins. But the Bible says he was buried. And three days later, he rose without them. He had defeated our sin. He had separated them as far as the east is from the west. He conquered them. And he now says to us, you can have the forgiveness of sins, not because of anything you have done, but because of what I have done for you. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's the good news, isn't it? Isn't that the gospel? But I want you to know something that we didn't talk much about last week. That's only half of it. You see, when you study the doctrine of justification, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that's only half the story. Let me tell you part two, the rest of the story. You see, the Bible says not only can we have our sins forgiven, but that you and I can be declared righteous by God on the basis of Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. Now, you might say, wait a minute. Adam, you've used this word imputed twice now. What in the world does that mean? It's so important that you understand the doctrine of imputation because there's no justification if there's no imputation. Here's what I mean. In my wallet, if I can get it out, there's no money. No. <laughs> my son Jack runs up to me this morning. The first thing he says, Dad, can I have a dollar? No. <laughs> I don't have any money. (laughs) But in my wallet, I have, this is a debit card. Maybe you have one. It's a Wells Fargo debit card. Maybe you have one connected to your checking account. Now, every time I use this card, something goes on my account. I can go down to Exxon, and I can buy $40 worth of gas, and I put this in the machine. There's a $40 debit to my account, right? It's something negative. It's something that I owe. To impute means to charge or to reckon. There is a $40 charge onto my account that's negative. It means I owe it. It's a debit, right? So impute means to charge. But I could also take this card down to Wells Fargo. Let's say it's my birthday and I received a $50 check in the mail. I go down to Wells Fargo, I sign the check, I scan the card, I put in my PIN number, and I make a deposit. That's a credit, isn't it? It's something positive, something of gain to my account. So there's been $50 imputed positively to my account. So to impute means to charge or to reckon, and you can have something negative, you can have something positive, you can have a debit, you can have a credit. The same is true in salvation. And Let me explain. I call this the great exchange. On this side, you have a sinner like me or like you A person who has fallen short of the glory of God. But on this side, you have the God man, Jesus Christ, who, as we've already learned, was absolutely perfect. He was sinless. You know the story. The Bible says that the sins that belonged to this person were charged to Jesus' account, right? Jesus died for our sins. They were imputed. They were reckoned to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the debit. He took all the bad stuff. Everything bad, everything wrong with me, Jesus took it. But the Bible also says that the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that he merited, that can be imputed to us. And that you and I can be declared righteous by God, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Yes, Christ will take your sin, but he also wants you to take his righteousness, to have that imputed righteousness in your life. But how do you receive this gift? How do you receive this great exchange? The Bible says it's by faith. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through what? Faith. Faith in Christ. What is faith? It is believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is trusting in him and in him alone. That Philippian jailer asked Paul, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Beloved, when I was six years old at Tennessee Avenue Baptist Church, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And that's the day I was justified. That's the day I was saved. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that you've been justified? I'm not asking you if you remember a time or a date or a place. I just happen to do that. I don't think you have to do that. But do you know you've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that he has taken your sin? Do you know that he will impute to you his righteousness? Do you know that you're saved? Have you been justified by faith? Beloved, justification, it takes away the penalty of our sin. I'm going to give you three Ps today with each one of these points. The first P is penalty. Justification takes away the penalty of your sin. That means it takes away the wrath of God, the pains of hell forever. It's an act. It's an act of God's free grace. That means it happens once, never to be repeated. Have you been justified? I hope you have. Because as we move to the second point today, now that we've looked at our past, how God worked in justification, verse 10 looks at our present. Our present is sanctification. Look at verse 10. The Bible says that I may know him And the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Look at that first phrase, that I may know him, that I may know him. Right now in your life, think about the people that you know the best. Maybe it's a parent or a brother or a sister Maybe it is a child. Maybe it is a dear friend. You know, the Lord has given me a couple friends in my life that are just dear, close friends. Friends that I have spent not just weeks with, but months and even years with. And over those years, we've cultivated a relationship. And with some of these friends, I could be saying a sentence, and before I finish the sentence, my friend can finish the sentence for me. And it's the same with him. He'll be saying a sentence, and I can step in and tell you exactly what he's going to say. Why? Because we've spent time together, right? We've cultivated a relationship. Another way of saying it is we know each other, right? We know each other. I'm sure you have relationships just like that. You know each other, you've cultivated a relationship. I want you to know, beloved, that sanctification. It's all about culting a relationship with Jesus. It's all about knowing him on a personal, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly level. It's about being set apart unto God. Not just saying that you like him, but saying that you're going to follow hard after him. As Peter would say, it's growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if sanctification is cultivating a relationship, if it's growing in grace, how do you do that? How is a believer to be sanctified? You know, the Word of God teaches us the answer. The means of which we are sanctified, the Bible, first of all, it says it's the preaching and the worship of God. The Bible teaches us in in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, we should not be in the habit of forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We should not be in the habit of skipping Sundays, this gathering, as we call it here at Redeemer. We gather because the Lord teaches us to gather. And we gather to worship Him together as a body of Christ. We worship Him in song and in prayer. We worship Him through the preaching of the Word we gathered together on Sundays to do that. That is one of the ways that you are going to grow as a Christian, to cultivate that relationship. But secondly, you also need a personal devotion to His Word. The Bible says of itself that all Scripture is God-breathed. That means it's coming out of the lungs of God. Think about a conversation that you have with someone. There's air coming out of that person's lungs when he talks to you or she talks to you. There's air coming out of your lungs when you talk to that person, right? All scripture is what? God breathed. This is coming right out of the lungs of God. That's what it means. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And God wants to communicate himself to you. If you're going to have a relationship that's, that's two sides, that person speaks to you. You speak back to that person. How does God speak to us? Through his word. If you want to know the will of God, open these pages and read the will of God. This is exactly what God intended for you to know about himself. We need to have a commitment to his word. But what's the next point? If God speaks to us, what do we need to do? Speak back to God. Think about a relationship. Can you cultivate a relationship if only one person does the talking the whole time? You can't. Christianity is relational. God made you a person to communicate with you and for you to communicate back to him. That's why prayer is important. And God wants us to pray. Isn't it amazing that the sovereign God of the universe desires to hear from his people? That he cares. And he tells you to cast his cares upon him because he cares for you. We're to be committed to prayer. Paul says it this way, pray without ceasing. Moment by moment, daily, in your, in your walk with Christ, pray to Him. You're communicating with Him. And then, finally, the, the sacraments. Last week, as we came to the Lord's table, we came to feed spiritually upon Christ. For our spiritual nourishment, our growth in grace, it's a time to confess our sin. It's a time to have our zeal and our faith increased. It's a a time to dwell with the Lord Jesus around his table. A catechism says it this way. In sanctification, God renews us in the whole man after his image and enables us more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. The the apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. When he wrote to the Corinthians... He actually admonished them for their lack of sanctification. Let me read to you the first two verses of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. Let me tell you a story. About 12 years ago, because Brock's almost 12, we had our first child. August 5th, 2005, and I was a rookie. I had never been around babies in my life, did not know what to expect, and man, do they need a lot of milk, a lot of, a lot of Similac for us. My dad, my dad's here today, he's visiting from Tennessee. My, my dad is, uh, he worked in office sales, he sold office furniture to one of the local hospitals in the area, and through that relationship, he, d- he developed a, a good relationship with one of the people at the hospital who said, who said, Troy, I, I know your son just had a child. I want to give you some samples of Similac, and you can send them to Charlotte. And for those of you who've had kids, you know how expensive that stuff is, right? I mean, that was like a gold mine. He, he, he would bring up these little two bottles, these little little two-ounce bottles of Similac. You know what I'm talking about? You just take the lid off and put the top on a sticker right in the baby's mouth. He would bring me stacks of that. So all this Similac was, was in my house. I remember Brock would drink like every two to three hours. He's, he's on the bottle, right? He's on the bottle. So as a baby, he was drinking all this milk, but then we get to rice cereal, right? And then you start smashing up veggies smashing up bananas and letting them eat the bananas. And then you get to that first solid food, maybe some Cheerios or some some hard foods, some Cheerios or puffs, whatever the, the latest thing is. But over time... You see this development, this growth, right, from, from milk to smashed food to, to small, solid food. And then, and then later, you're finally ready to pull out the chicken and the pork and the steak. And you watch your child go from, from drinking milk to, to eating meat. And before you know it, you're paying all this money for him to have a full meal at a restaurant, which I did last night. I couldn't believe how much Brock ate last night at the meal. He's eating a full adult meal. He's, he's way past the kid's meal. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, did did you see this growth, right? Physically, it's easy to see growth. He goes from drinking milk to eating meat. Paul picks up that argument and says it should be the same thing spiritually. It should. When you first come to know the Lord, you're like this infant, this baby who's drinking milk. You have the Similac in your mouth. But you shouldn't stay that way your whole life. There should be a progression. You should go from drinking milk to eating solid foods. And he admonished the Corinthians here. He goes, you should be eating the milk or should be eating the meat, but you're you're still drinking the milk of the word. Beloved, it begs the question of all of us. Are we getting the spiritual nutrition that we need? Are we getting worship, word, prayer, and sacraments? What's in your spiritual pantry? Is it still stacked with Similac? Or are you eating the meat of the word? Healthy organisms grow, and sanctification is growth in grace. And that process should last from the day we're justified to the day we die, till Jesus comes back. Justification, we learned, takes away The penalty of our sin, that's the P. Sanctification takes away the power of of sin in our life because we're enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. Let me leave you with this last little bit from Dr. D. James Kennedy. I learned so much from Dr. Kennedy just listening to him on the radio. He gave a good description of the difference between justification and sanctification. I want to give it to you. He said justification is an act. It's a one-time act, but sanctification is a process. Justification is instant. Sanctification is progressive. Justification is your standing with God. Sanctification is your state of growth. Justification is your birth in Christ. Sanctification is your growth in Christ. When you're justified, you're drinking the milk of the word. As you're sanctified, you start eating the meat of it. Justification is coming to Christ. Sanctification is following after Christ. And as we've already said, justification removes the penalty of sin. Sanctification removes the power of sin. So we've seen the past. We've seen the present. Let's look at that final aspect of our salvation, our glorification. Look at verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Beloved as believers, we are presently waiting on something. We're waiting on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember the beginning of the book of Acts, what the angels told the disciples? He said, this Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven, he's going to come back in the same way you saw him go. Even Jesus said to his disciples, I go to make a place for you, and if I go to make a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. Jesus is coming back. The Word of God talks about this in detail. This is Paul writing in 1 Thessalonians. He says to those, that young church, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds with the Lord to meet the Lord's in the air, and we will forever be with the Lord. Jesus is coming back. And when that happens, something's going to happen to believers. There's going to be a resurrection, the Bible says. It talks about it in great detail in First Corinthians 15. Listen to this. This is our glorification when Jesus comes back. I tell you the truth. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, same trumpet from 1 Thessalonians 4. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, must clothe itself with the imperishable, and this mortal body with immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, what the Bible teaches is when Jesus comes back, these old mortal bodies, bodies that get sick, bodies that break down, bodies that struggle with sin, they're going to be changed into an immortal body. These perishable bodies are going to put on the imperishable, and death is going to be swallowed up in victory. And the sin, the sin Justification took away the penalty of that sin. Sanctification takes away the power of that sin. But glorification is going to take away the presence of that sin. And it will be no more. The Lord Jesus Christ does that for us. You see, in the Christian life, there is a now but a not yet theology. What I mean by that is right now we're justified, right now we're being sanctified. But one day, we wait on a not yet. We wait to be glorified. And we anticipate the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The catechism says it this way, At the resurrection, believers will be raised up in glory, and they shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed to the full enjoying of God for all eternity. So, as we close this morning, I want you to see past, present, future. So, first of all, let me ask you these questions about the past. Can you look into the past and see your justification? Have you trusted Christ by grace through faith? Have you been declared righteous by God on the basis of your sin being imputed to Christ and his righteousness being imputed to you? There is no justification without imputation have you been justified secondly are you being sanctified are you cultivating that relationship with Jesus are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ is worship the word prayer and sacraments are they part of your life those are the means by which we grow and a good question to always ask what's in the pantry what's in the pantry is it milk or is it meat and then thirdly, do you look forward to your glorification? Do you anticipate the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? And maybe even more importantly, when he comes, will he find us faithful? God has called us to be faithful in our walk with him, and we thank him for justifying us. We thank him for sanctifying us, and we look forward to the day where he will glorify us with him. Let us be faithful to him even until that day. Pray with me, please. Lord, it's amazing that in three verses of the Bible you pack so much of the order of salvation into a text. God, we thank you as Christians for justifying us today, for declaring us righteous. Yet, Lord, I dare say in a room this size with as many people that are here, there might be someone who has never been justified, which means they're not being sanctified and they won't be glorified. God, if there is one here who has never turned to you, maybe they're trusting in their own assets, they're trusting in their own works, Lord, if they are here today, may they cast those aside to embrace Jesus Christ and not be found in their own righteousness that comes from the law, but be found in you. Be found in you, Jesus, your righteousness, and may they receive it by faith. Lord, I pray for the sanctification of believers here today, for all of us starting with myself, Lord. I know that I need to be more committed to your word and to prayer. Lord, give us, Lord, those means to to which to grow. Father, we know that they're there. We pray that we would be committed, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And we do look forward to the day of your second coming. And may we be faithful until that day comes. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.